As I said uh, earlier this morning, today begins the season of Advent. This is always the time of year I put my Quaker card at risk. Because I, I sort of venture into the liturgical calendar and what's called the lectionary. And what I've decided at least, um, see, I'm, and being a good Quaker, I'm going to give myself an out. But what I've decided for now is that I'm going to stay with the scriptures that are given for each Sunday for the next few Sundays, at least during this time of year, because I need to wrestle with these passages from Isaiah. Sometimes it's easy for pastors and preachers to gravitate toward the ones we like or to the ones we want to use because we got something to say, rather than just take what's given to us and wrestle with it. That's what this passage is this morning. The word Advent means coming, or it means arrival. So during this season leading up to Christmas, as Christians, we're invited to focus, reflect, prepare our hearts as we anticipate this second coming of Christ and his second Advent. Now, Advent also symbolizes the spiritual journey of individuals and faith communities. So we affirm that Christ has come and that is present in the world today, and that invites us to see ourselves as living in between the times. So we have this first advent, the coming of, the coming of God in the, in the form of Jesus and the baby. We have this second advent that Christians often believe as this second coming, but we have this in-between time that we live, a time in which God a time in which the world as God intends it is not fully re- realized, but it's partially realized through our partnering with God and living out the way of Jesus in our daily lives. This is why we pray on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for God's rule and reign to be manifested fully on earth and to be manifested through our life and through the witness of our faith. Community is Deep River Friends meeting. Now that is Advent 101, as best as I can explain it. Advent the first advent, the coming of Jesus and the birth which we celebrate and we, 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 we reflect on, the second advent, um, the second coming. Now, for early friends, Quakers, they put a little bit of an accent on it, if you will. They understand that this day of the Lord, as the prophets often talk about it, this day of the Lord had already begun to be present in the world in which they lived, in the here and now, and this day of the Lord could be experienced within the believer and it manifested itself in the lives of the faithful. Faithful. So this second coming, if you will, was already at work in the hearts of those who had turned to the Lord. And those who had turned to the Lord were at work bringing God's rule and reign to reality in this world. So to be clear, it's not that early friends said, well, there isn't no second coming. They believed in that. But what they said was, but Christ is already here and present. He has already come now. Why Early friends would say, do we have to wait for some time in the future for the full presence of Christ to be realized here? He has come in our hearts. And when early friends would use the day of the Lord has come, they literally meant it within our hearts. God has come into our hearts to bring correction, to bring guidance, to bring light, and to use the word to to bring the full revelation of what God's will is to our life right now. That's why early friends would often talk about Christ has come to teach his people himself. We believe literally that Christ is present here to teach us and to guide us and to speak to our condition. And it's more than living in between the times. We live in a time in which Christ is present with us right now. And not just here in these walls, but everywhere we go. When we leave this building, when we're at work, when we're with our families, when we're having conversations with people, that day of the Lord, this, this coming is right here with us in the present. That's Advent 201. 
with a Quaker accent. Now, the words of Isaiah that we heard read this morning, they're a preview, a dream, if you will, of what is to come, a vision. It's what Isaiah sees and what he believes God intends for creation. My word and my my standard metaphor for people is think of the prophets as this, sitting in a movie and you see a preview of what is to come. Before you ever see the movie, you see the coming attractions. You see that so you can see what's going to happen down the road. The prophets are giving us this coming attraction. They are giving us a preview of what is to come. And what he envisions is creation and the world to be wrapped around the way the Messiah would have us live. In the days to come, he says, we can expect the Messiah to arrive and he will inaugurate a new kingdom, a new way to live, and a new rule and a new reign. This is what Isaiah says. In the days to come, this Messiah will come among us and will inaugurate a new reality among us and will invite us to live this way and to be this way and to practice it. In the days to come, Isaiah says, nations will have a deep hunger for living according to God's way and God's reign. The imagery of this is striking. The imagery of the Lord's mountain connects Isaiah's original readers and us with Mount Sinai. And the place where God gave his people a way to be formed has his people, the Ten Commandments. Isaiah sees a day in which people and nations will have this deep hunger to be formed as a community around life-giving commands, not just a community of faith, but even this human community, a human community that sees that there is a better way to live. In the days to come, Isaiah says, people will want to be taught the ways of God and God's rule and God's reign. They'll want to be instructed in how to walk in God's path. And in the scriptures, Instruction is never about just memorizing facts and theories. Instruction in the scriptures is about knowledge that leads to life and the kind of wisdom that enables a person to know how to live well. In the days to come, Isaiah says, people will want the kind of wisdom that will help them live life well because when life isn't working, they need that kind of wisdom and instruction. And in the days to come, Isaiah says, and this is key, no longer will nations look to settle their disputes through war and violence, but rather people will look to God as the one who offers wisdom, guidance, and reconciliation. They will look to God's ways as the way to peace and harmony. So much so, Isaiah says, that they will literally take their instruments of war and violence and turn them into instruments of gardening and creating. Swords and spears will then be turned into plows and pruning tools. Life will no longer be a violent competition, but rather this collaboration and this seeking of healing solutions. And in that day, people will no longer learn how to make war. In fact, they'll skip class. In fact, they'll drop the class completely. They'll drop the class, How to Make War, and they'll sign it for the class entitled How to Turn Your World into a Garden of Reconciliation and Peace. All of that is the world that God intends. That is what Isaiah is saying. God intends for there to be a world in which they wrap their hearts and souls and their whole community around the ways of God. Isaiah says God intends for there to be a world in which people will look to God for wisdom and direction and instruction. And and Isaiah says God intends that there will be a world where people will eventually say this violence and war thing just isn't working anymore. We have to learn a different way, a better way. And so we're going to take all of our war tools and we're going to melt them down and we're going to make them into instruments. We're going to create gardens. We're going to create life and we're going to create beauty. When I think of those kind of places, I think of when we took a trip to Costa Rica a few years ago, some from the meeting went 
to that uh, one on that trip. In Costa Rica, there is a university for peace. Imagine that. A whole university where you can get a degree in peace. There is a place in Ramallah that friends have, the Ramallah Friends School, that in the middle of all of that violence, they teach children the best ones to start with, what it means to live in peace and honor and respect with others. So there are glimpses of this, and there are places where it is being taught. All of this in the days to come, and this is the message of Advent. This is it. The day has come. It has come in the person of Jesus, and we are being invited to experience it. We live, as I said, as theologians like to say, in the in-between time. We live between that first advent and that final advent. But for now, we live between these times. And you and I are being invited to live as if the future is already happening, as if God's rule and reign is already in force in its fullness. And that is what happens, and again, when we say on earth as it is in heaven, the church and those who make up it are to live as a preview of what is to come. So what if Advent became an invitation for us to begin living now as if the future were already here? What if it were an invitation for me and you to live in the now as if it were already here? Well, maybe it would look like this. What if Advent, or this Advent, you and I prayed for a deeper hunger to live according to the ways of God and God's rule and God's reign? Like those streaming to the mountain of the Lord, we prayed for a deeper hunger that moved us to want to have our lives shaped and formed by God's ways. The kingdom of God, that God came to Israel in the form of the Ten Commandments, and now God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And both God and through God, he desires to form and shape a community of people who live according to a different vision. What if we prayed for that? What if we asked for that? And what if we opened our hearts to that possibility? What if this Advent we opened our hearts to the kind of instruction that would lead us to true wisdom and living life well? Isaiah saw people that wanted to be instructed on how to walk in God's path. How can we open our hearts to the living Christ who is here to teach his people himself? People like you and I. Christ wants to teach us how to live so that our lives flourish and that we contribute to this flourishing of all creation. So Christ wants to teach us so that wisdom and insight is given that speaks directly to our condition, whatever that condition may be. It could be grief, it could be shame, it could be fear, it could be sadness, it could be anger, it could be frustration, it could be confusion, whatever our condition may be. What if this Advent we opened our hearts up to the kind of instruction that would lead us to this true wisdom and to living life well and speaking to our condition? And what if this Advent we opened our hearts to learn a different way of living? Isaiah says that nations will no longer learn how to make war and disputes will be settled in a way that reflects God's reconciliation and forgiveness. So what if this Advent, we opened up our hearts and we allowed the living Christ to show us the disputes in our lives that need to be addressed? And I'm not talking about international disputes. How about the disputes that we have with one another? The disputes we have with coworkers? the disputes we have with family members or the disputes we have with spouses or friends? What if during this season of Advent we took the time to really pay attention to those disputes and we sought a different way that leads to healing, reconciliation, and forgiveness and we used the season as an opportunity to deal with them in the way that God would have us deal with them? Isaiah tells us 
They'll no longer learn how to make war. And again, I think that's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful promise. It's a world in which folks are not interested in learning how to make war anymore. Rather, the hope and promise is that there can be a world in which folks would rather learn how to do peace and reconciliation. I've always heard this, by the way, that if we learn anything new, we have to unlearn what we already know. If we're going to learn anything new, and maybe that's too blanket a statement, but generally speaking, if we learn something new, we have to unlearn some things. So what if during Advent we made it a time in which we intentionally unlearned some things so we could learn some better things? For example, unlearning hate so we can learn love. Unlearning payback so we can learn forgiveness. Unlearning arrogance so we can learn humility. Unlearning indifference so we can learn compassion. Unlearning impatience so we can learn patience. Unlearning fatalism and learning hope or unlearning negativity and, and, and learning joy. And this may not be your list. And some of it applies to me and some of it I'm just putting out there as starters for you. But I've got other things in my life I need to unlearn. In fact, in our open worship this morning at 9 a.m., I didn't write them down, but I realized there were things in my life like I need to unlearn the need to always be right and superior and learn humility. I need to unlearn the need to always have the last word, and I need to learn to listen. So just on and on, there are things that we can always unlearn so we can make room for what we need to learn. What if you made a list of attitudes, of dispositions, ways of being that you wanted to unlearn, and then a list of attitudes and dispositions and ways of being that you would want to learn through the help of the Spirit? What would that list look like? What would it include? I say this not with my tongue in my cheek, but with all seriousness. If I really made a list like that and followed through on it, that could be the greatest gift I give my family. It could be the greatest gift I give my friends. It could be the greatest gift that we give to this world at this time of year when we're really into gift giving. Our scripture text for this morning ends this way. Come. Let's walk by the Lord's light. What a simple but beautiful prayer for this Advent. This is the season of lights. People are putting up lights in their yard, lights in their home, lights in their trees. Some of us will drive around town to see the lights. But the most important light, this is what Isaiah says, is the light of the Lord that helps us navigate these dark places of life, as well as the unfamiliar places in our soul. When I use a light, I have a little flashlight by our bed have lights around the house when I walk around the house. When I use it, I use it so I can find my way around, pure and simple. I like a lot of light. Linda tends to think I turn on too many lights, but uh, I flip them all all in the morning just so I can find my way around. What if we used the light of the Lord simply to find our way in this world, to find our own path, to find the direction we need to go, to find the places we need to examine, to find the places that Christ is speaking to us, the fearful places, the suffering places, the places in which we're confused and scared. So let us walk by the light of the Lord, as he invites us, so we can begin to live into this Advent. Let us leave it there, and maybe we can take a few moments And in that time of reflection, even give some thought to what it is I need to unlearn 
or we need to unlearn so that we can begin to learn the ways that God would have us live and God would have us be.